Hey, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to all of our listeners. This is Barry Muller filling in for Gideon Thomas with the RevAmp podcast. I have Matt as our guest today. I'm super excited uh, to have Matt. I was glad that he, uh, when I reached out to him, he was in Egypt, and I was glad that we were able to follow up and uh, talk about and actually get this meeting set up, Matt. So thanks again for um, accepting. Um, let's start off by telling a bit about who you are, Matt, and who you work for, and also how you got into high tech, a story you told me uh, quite recently that I thoroughly enjoyed. <laughs> oh, good, very well. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. Uh, yeah, so my name is Matt. Uh, I'm currently the uh, Chief Revenue Officer at Trulio. We are an identity and business verification platform, uh, working with companies all over the globe. Um, how I got into tech, uh, I grew up in the Bay Area in California. Went to school at a small university in San Antonio, Texas called Trinity. And uh, after graduating, I went and became a sixth grade social studies teacher. And at the same time, I had a couple of really good friends at Rackspace, uh, or to me at, at Trinity, who ended up forming Rackspace. Um, and, uh, you know, really exciting. There wasn't a lot of tech going on in San Antonio. And so they were building this great company. And one of the founders, Pat, approached me when I was teaching. He said, Matt, you know, I really want you to come and join Rackspace. And, and I thought, you know, what the heck am I going to do for you, Pat? Like, I don't know anything about technology. I'm a, I'm a sixth grade social studies teacher. And he looks at me and he says, Matt, he's like, you're selling kids every single day on why they need to go and learn social studies. Like, you know sales. Like, come on over and work with your best friends and, and let's go and build something great. So uh, I was able to go and, and join Rackspace and spent uh, 10 amazing years there. Love that. I really love that. Um, I think this could also be a promo for getting people into high tech that were sixth grade social uh, grade studies. So that's amazing. And um, so maybe you could also tell me, um, you also told me a bit about your career. I think it's super interesting. Right now you're the CR, CRO of Trulio, but beforehand, um, what got you to uh, this position? I'd say I got yeah, 10 great years at Rackspace, got a chance to, to have a lot of different uh, sales leadership positions, had the opportunity to, to live in uh, the UK, spent two and a half years there, spent uh, a year in Hong Kong running APAC sales. Uh, from there, I uh, had the opportunity to do a turnaround of the company as a as CEO at a very small uh, pay-per-click uh, SEO company. Then uh, I moved to Austin, Texas, had the chance to go and run go-to-market uh, for a company called Bizarre Voice, right uh, as they were approaching an IPO. Uh, I had a chance to go and spend a lot of time in, uh, in Japan and, and Australia and Brazil uh, in that role. And then I was able to go from there to a company called WP Engine, which is a, a really, really fun six years of my life where helped uh, grow the sales organization from uh, a single person. I, I, I started over there as the VP of sales. I said, great, how many people are on my team? And, and I heard the answer is one. Uh, and over the course of six years, built that up to about 150 folks uh, across the globe. And then I uh, uh, took a CRO role at a company called Cotential, which was a CRM company. Uh, spent about 18 months there uh, when we sold it and then was really blessed and fortunate to find Trulio. Uh, and I've uh, been there for about a year now. Love that. So um, a lot of sales experience, a lot of scaling experience going from one employee to 150 uh, sales employees, I should say. Um, and also going from Rackspace from, I guess, maybe not college dorms, but soon after college to, uh, to IPO, which is also really cool. Um, so I think it would be relevant then uh, to discuss maybe scaling sales teams, scalings, um, and scaling also the company. There's, uh, I want to differentiate between the two because the sales team is a silo team. But now that you're a CRO or you have been for the past, I guess, two and a half years, 
Um, also scaling a company as a whole, not just your sales team, but also making sure that the sales team, if you will, is playing nice with some of the other teams or the other teams are playing nice with sales, however, uh, whoever, <laughs> however you want to put it. So um, tell me maybe, um, so let's start with scaling a sales team. What are the steps that you took um, when you had one, one sales rep? What were you guys focusing on then? And when you wanted to uh, start hiring more sales reps, how many were you hiring? And what did you need in order to um, get those hires on board quickly and in a, in a good culture way? Yeah, great, great, great questions there. Uh, so, so first off, first thing I start to go and try to go and build is the model. And this is one of the things that I have seen time and again with early stage companies uh, with the sales team is they're never quite sure when to go and start adding more additional sales reps. Um, and a lot of times, you know, maybe the sales team is performing, you know, pretty good, maybe not blowing it out of the water. And there's a lot of thought of like, well, how am I able to go and add more salespeople if my current team maybe isn't, you know, you know, you know, averaging 110%, like, you know, you know, when's that right time? And what percentage attainment do I look at before I start to go and add more people? And for me, the answer is really around, getting into the inputs and not the outputs um, and building a model um, and you know, every organization is a little bit different, but you might have your SDR team and you're looking at maybe some inbound leads, maybe some outbound leads, and you're feeding that sales team some opportunities. Maybe you're asking them to go and do their own you know, self-prospecting. You got ABM campaigns and so forth. And you start with there and say, okay, let's build a model that says we want to go and get you know, each sales rep with you know, X number of opportunities and average deal size of X looking for a conversion rate of this, you know, based on this average you know, sales cycle, we want to go, maybe there's a, maybe there's a channel player or whatever, but you start with the model and then you hold people accountable to hitting that model, you know, the conversion rate, the average deal size and so forth. And then you can go and add enablement into certain areas where they might not be performing at a certain level. And then once you start to go and get that model, then it becomes really easy to be able to go and scale. And what's one of the Really interesting things, and this has happened now at three different companies uh, that I've worked at, is sales teams performing okay, but once again, there's this hesitation of like, well, I, you know, how do I add more people? You know, what, what's my current team going to say if I go and add more people? And you start digging into the model, and in three different cases, the reason why the sales team wasn't performing, there was a bit of a lack of enablement and a lack of, you know, really understanding the value proposition. But more than anything, they were forcing bad behaviors by the sales reps because they were actually overfeeding them uh, opportunities. And they had so many opportunities that they were forced to get really surface level with those opportunities, almost to the point of like, you know, let's rush to a demo. Uh, and, you know, I'm not going to call you, you know, Barry, if you're interested, you can call me back, but I'm off to the next demo. And of course, you know, then, you know, the, the performance wasn't there. And the answer actually in a couple of those companies was simply, let's just add more people. So actually people have less opportunities. So they actually have more time to focus. Let's make sure we have really good sales behavior, um, really good execution. And, you know, the, the attainment went, went way up. So it's really about understanding the model that you're trying to go and do. Forget about the outputs. Figure out what the right inputs are and coach and manage those inputs. And that will really start to go and help unlocking when to go and scale and when to add more people. Right. I love that. There's so many things I love because one, it sounds like it's even the opposite of like what most companies do. Most companies get numbers from their board that they promised either the board or the board told them to expect once they got the funding. And then they're like, okay, how do we get those numbers? And this is saying, no, start from the beginning. I would even say when maybe when you even had one employee, start building what you expect from percentages um, 
start putting in the numbers, see what your average contract value is, see um, already how long it took to close. And then when you add more people, ensure that those numbers are consistent. And if they're not consistent, then you have enablement, fill in those gaps, but you're starting from the inputs, not the outputs. Is that that's Absolutely. And, and when you do that, then you avoid the, you know, you get somebody that, you know, is underperforming. You know, if you're only looking at the output, you know, what do you tell that person? I need you to work a little bit harder. Really need you to dig in. I really need you to go and lean in. And I need 110% this quarter. Like, what's a rep supposed to do with that? I mean, that's, you know, quite frankly, BS. But if you can go into those inputs and you say, hey, here's where I'm seeing the, the inflection point. Your conversion rate on outbound SDR generated opportunities is half what it is for the other team. So this is where we really need to go and focus. And let's get best practices from the other team members. Let's learn what they're doing. And so we can go and alter those steps. And then quite frankly, also, you know, what you can also do is for your top performers, one is you're, you're, you're actually being able to go and put the right person on the pedestal. You know, a person that does 150%, maybe they got the lucky lead. You know, maybe you got that former customer who said, you know, oh man, you know, I, I really screwed up. I should have never left you all. Now I realize, you know, why you all, you know, charge a premium. And that's the reason why they got 150%. You don't want to put that person on the pedestal, but if you go in the inputs, you can really understand what's driving that great behavior. And then the other thing that's great for those top performers is typically when you're looking at those inputs, you'll find something that they could improve upon. So rather than giving them that, you know, that, that, you know, pat on the shoulder, you know, hey, great job, Sally, you know, keep it up. Uh, you can actually go and really challenge them to be able to go and get better. Because, you know, at the end of the day, if you're going to your top performers and you're just patting them on the shoulder and saying, great job, keep it up. Sorry, I don't have a lot of time to go and talk to you. I got to go and talk to somebody else. That top performer should leave your organization because you're not making them better. But if you really understand the input, you can actually really go and help them become even better than they are. Awesome. And and you probably have a few people that uh, a few of your friends are VP sales zeros. Would you say that without throwing any specific names under the bus, would you say that um, people are implementing this inputs uh, versus outputs kind of measure, or would you say it's still common to do uh, more outputs? I think it's, it's still very common to go and do the outputs because, you know, especially in early stage companies, I mean, that's what, that, you know, that's what, you know, put money into the bank, you know, and that's, right. and so it's very easy to go and get fixated on that. Um, but the problem with that is, it makes it really hard to go and get repeatable. Um, and a lot of times what you have is those early stage companies where you're only looking at the output and you know, you don't really know why that person's successful. It's just like, oh, they're just really good. They like they really believe in this company or you know, whatever it is, like some sort of like lackluster, you know, response. And then it actually hurts trying to be able to go and scale that company because now you're trying to go and find almost superheroes and you're actually creating a heroic culture rather than a repeatable culture, you know, and that's going to be, you know, the company's downfall until they can go and get out of that. Of that. Go for, to be repeatable, not heroic. <laughs> and then yeah. I also, the other thing that I thought was interesting, I've heard this, but it's still um, important to remember. It's just that too many opportunities bring down everyone's uh not just your the company's uh, sales but also the probably the sales rep sales because he's not giving enough attention or he or she's not giving enough attention to the act to the client enough or to the potential buyer enough so i think that's super interesting also absolutely like when, when you know when i joined this 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 uh Trilio, the first thing i did was how many opportunities are in the pipeline 
how long is their average sales cycle? How many touch points does it take? How much time do we actually have to go and spend with a client in order to go and get them across the finish line? And then it's just simple math. Okay, they're working 40, 50 hours a week. So like how many opportunities do they actually have in the pipeline? Like it's pretty simple math to be able to go and back into that. And then you have, you know, an idea of, you know, you know how many opportunities should somebody have in the pipeline in total before you're actually going to go and get really diminishing returns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then um, to follow up on that, how how early are you are you thinking about about how do you know? Let me start over. At the other, you've worked at a few diverse companies, right? Does the amount of lead, uh, leads um, that each person gets differ vastly between each company? Or um, obviously, you know, the average contract value will probably change some things because then you need more touch points. But if they have similar touch points, if you will, and the average contract value is similar, is there a difference in amount of leads that they can handle? It, there's, you know, it, it depends on that value and how many touch points exactly. Right. But, you know, a lot of companies, it's pretty similar. Uh, it's, it, it, is, it is pretty similar. Now you get to like, you know, big enterprise sales. It's going to, you know, vary drastically when you're asking somebody to go and close two or three deals a year, uh, you know, that type of, you know, that type of thing. But, um, you know, but in a, you know, in a, like say a quarterly driven model, you know, if the average sales cycle is fairly similar touch points, you know, you, you know, give or take one or two or three ops, but it's all, it's all pretty similar. Okay, cool. So can you give us the magic number? Well, like in, um, you know, in, in a lot of jobs, what I've seen where it is fairly transactional, mm-hmm. um, what we have found the magic number for us is uh, on like a mid-market sales rep is eight opportunities per month or 24 per quarter. Um, for us, um, you know, with the conversion rate, once again, depending on inbound or outbound, of looking at about 50% conversion rate uh, and and then being able to go and back into the math uh, there. But you know, that's that's been fairly common for mid-market, fairly transactional, but you know, it is going to vary depending on the on, on the type of business. And depending if their bosses matter or not, obviously. <laughs> um, so that good, good stuff. I love that. Um, and then we were discussing, so we were discussing the sales and we we're discussing scaling the sales team and we made it scientific. So now science is, uh, selling is an art and it's a science, but what about managing, um, making sure that the whole team is scaling correctly, the teams that are connected to the sales? How much science is involved in that? And when I say science, I'm involving talking about putting inputs instead of just outputs. And how much of it is an art for uh, culture or can we even bring culture to a science? <laughs> I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, both are incredibly important and, and both, are different, but they also coalesce um, together. So let's talk about more of the science part. The other piece is is that all departments need to be operating and moving in the same direction. So you start with, say, with marketing and sales, which is the obvious connection point. You got to be able to go and agree on that marketing funnel, and you got to have a handshake there uh, that marketing is going to say, develop X amount of leads or whatever your nomenclature is, you call it Leo, Leo leads, MQLs, SQLs, you know, and all that kind of stuff. I still get confused about what, they, you know, what, what, you know, what everything means. But you do have to have clarity on the definitions and understand what the math is. So there's going to be this many on the top of the funnel, marketing may, you know, nurture, you know, to, to this extent. And then once this happens, then it becomes a sales qualified lead. And there's going to be this many sales qualified leads maybe flowing into the SDR side. 
from the SDRs, now you're going to have conversion rates. You know, maybe it's content downloads, maybe it's demo requests, maybe it's, you know, emails or, you know, drift or something like that. And you're going to have conversion rates on every single one of those aspects. And then that's going to flow into how many opportunities are being produced uh, to the sales team, which will allow you to be able to go and, you know, and scale that, that sales team. Because at the end of the day, you know, the only thing that matters is are we putting revenue up on the board? Um, and it's not about a, you know, they're doing this and, you know, and, and they're doing that and, you know, you get these disagreements. But if you have this, you know, conversation and this agreement of what that funnel from the very top looks like all the way through, now we're swimming in the same direction. And then you, you know, add product in there. And you've got, you know, you know, products that are delivering new products and there's agreed upon, um, you know, uh, inflection point in terms of, you know, how much revenue that's going to be able to go and add to the, to the team. Um, and you've got, you know, dollars behind, you know, what a successful product launch looks like. You got product engaged with that, you know, combined with new marketing, you know, assets and so forth into the sales side and everybody is working together. Yeah. I love my, my, my current CEO, uh, Steve Mumford. He's a product person. He's an amazing, uh, amazing gentleman. I mean, he, he talks a lot about, you know, you're either in sales or you're in sales support. Um, and everything needs to be able to go and help our customers, you know, and that, you know, that typically, you know, the output is more sales, either expansion or, or acquisition, having everybody with that mindset. Um, but having, you know, being, you know, math to be able to go and tie off all the way across is super important. And then, you know, the culture thing, Barry, you know, that, that's something that, that is in my wheelhouse and I'm, I'm super passionate about that. And I learned that, you know, early on at Rackspace about the importance of culture. Yeah, at the end of the day, like at Rackspace, we were the plumbing of the internet. You know, it was like the most boring part of the internet. You know, we were taking, you know, we're going to a data center and taking a server and plugging it in and on top of it, you know, plugging in a Cisco router and then maybe a firewall. And then if it was a big sale, you put a couple of servers in. It's like, you know, anybody can do that. You talk about a commoditized industry, like that is, you know, that's like driving down to the, to the bare minimum. What was interesting is, Rackspace was able to, you know, offer value-led pricing. Um, and it was because no matter how great the technology was, customers still had questions. They still, they still needed answers. And so we, you know, we, we differentiate ourselves by offering the very best support in the industry. It wasn't about the, the technology. Um, it was about, we didn't have really any differentiated tech, you know, whatsoever. Um, but it was about, you know, delivering that best customer experience possible. But in order to go and deliver that best customer experience, you better have a culture where people enjoy going to work and they want to be able to go and deliver, you know, that exceptional, you know, customer service. And so we really focused on, on, on culture and building that, that community of rackers. And people, you know, borrowing from Simon Sinek here, you know, want to go and volunteer their best. You know, I, I talk about this all the time. You know, every employee has a choice every day when they show up. You know, you and I had a choice today. Are we showing up or are we volunteering our best? And when you can go and create a culture where people want to volunteer their best, well, man, you, you know, the world's your oyster at that point. And I think that, you know, nowadays it's even, it's even more important. Like there's this war for talent out there. Um, and people are constantly, you know, looking around. And, you know, for most organizations, you know, especially early stage, you're not going to be paying the most out there. You probably don't have the best benefits. You know, you know, you know, my, my, my brother-in-law works at a fortune 500 company, man, the benefits that they get, I mean, it's crazy. It's, it's, it's nuts. All the things that they go and, and, and get all the, you know, the, the, the baristas, you know, making their personal coffee and the gyms and the personal trainers, you know, I try to get in touch with them during the day. It's like, sorry, you know, we got a, you know, company led yoga class and I'll be back, you know, you know, it all like, sounds really cool. Um, but a lot of early stage companies, you don't, you don't have that. And so you got to go and figure out like, why should somebody go and join you on the journey? Um, and, and I'll tell you this, 
The answer, in my personal opinion, shouldn't be come and join us and we're going to go and have an exit in three years or we're going to go you know, public in five years or something like that. Um, that's so short term and, and you know, invariably it doesn't happen. And so then why should that person go and, and stay? There's a company in Austin that it seemed like every 18 months, they were always 18, they've been 18 months away from going public for like the last eight years. And every 18 months they have this mass attrition because that was the, the value there. There's got to be something more. And I think that you know, really focusing on how are you going to go and get people to go and volunteer their best. And, you know, we're, we're coming up on holiday time right now and you got a lot of holiday parties and, and so forth. And I would say that's not culture. That's how you're celebrating culture. You know, you, 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 know, you get the, you know, you'd be back, you know, before, you know, we, you know, everybody went remotely. You had the, you had the foosball table and the ping pong table and the, and the video game and the, you know, the pizza on Fridays and the, and the beer with the CEO on Thursdays. That's not culture. That's how you're celebrating culture. But culture is really all about how can you go and get people to come in and volunteer their best? So how are you enabling them to do a great job? How um, are they learning? How are they growing? There's five great questions uh, that I think every employee should be asking themselves. Am I learning? Am I growing? Am I having fun? Does my manager have my back? And do I believe in the mission of the company? You go and focus on those five things right there. That comes from Heather Bruner, uh, the CEO of WT Engine. I don't want anybody thinking I'm not smart. Like this. It's a, just like a quote from her. Am I learning? Am I growing? Am I having fun? Does my manager have my back? Do I believe in the mission of the company? You nail those five things. You got culture right there. You got people that want to go and volunteer their best every day. Of that. And so were you able to, do you, did you find when you went from one to 150 or when you're managing now, not just sales, but outside of sales, uh, was it more challenging? Was there any point where it becomes more challenging to hire for culture? Or was, it, is, was it ever challenging when after you hired them where the culture maybe shifted and there were some, uh, some things you weren't expecting, even though they fit your culture in the, when you hired them? It, it's always a challenge. It, 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 at every stage, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's a challenge. Um, but it's also something that, you know, culture is one of those things that's also not top down. Can't just start with the CEO. It has to go and start with everybody. It has to start with everybody believing in the mission of the company. Um, so they want to go and volunteer their best. It's not, you know, this is what my paycheck's going to go and look like or, you know, that, that type of thing. But it's really about, you know, really understanding the mission, understanding the strategy, getting people to go and believe in that strategy, understanding, you know, where they participate in the execution of that strategy. I also think, you know, part of that culture is as you continue to go and scale out and you're bigger and bigger and bigger, one of the lessons that I've learned over and over, you know, too many times is as a leader, I don't have to have all the answers. You know, sometimes, you know, especially early on or first time managers, you know, it's like, okay, this is why I got, you know, put in this position. I'm supposed to have all the answers. And that doesn't scale, that doesn't work. And actually it's not true leadership. It's your ability to go and deliver, you know, get the answers out of the people and bring them up to the service. And that actually really builds, you know, confidence. You know, talk to so many, uh, uh, especially like first time managers or mentors. And they start saying that, I don't know how to do this. Like I, I've only got four or five people and I can't, I can't do this anymore. I don't understand how I can go scale to seven or eight or nine people. And when you dig into it, the reason why it doesn't scale is because they're giving people the right answers. You know, somebody says, yeah, hey, Barry, you know, you've been here for a while. You just got promoted. You've probably seen this over and over. This is what the customer said. You know, you know what should my response be? And the worst thing that you can do is to say, hey, say this, do this, and they're probably going to say this. And then when they do that, do this, and boom, you're going to be able to go and send out a contract or you know, whatever, you know, whatever that is, you know, in this case, in, in sales. Now, sales rep goes back and says, wow, 
Barry is great, man. If I had gone to Barry, you know, I would never, you know, you know, close this deal. And you go home, you know, and you're, you're, you know, you're, you're getting to see your, your newborn you know, baby daughter, and you're saying hi to your wife, and you think, man, this company is so lucky to have me. You know, we would have lost that deal. And then the next day, guess what? That sales rep back at your desk. Okay, Barry, I got another one. And then I, Barry, I got another one. And now they don't have any confidence. They don't know how to go and think for themselves. Um, but you know, great leaders take a few more minutes and say, well, what do you think? You know, and you know, if it's not a very good idea, you say, that's interesting. What's another way to go and approach it? What's another way to go and approach it? And you avoid that transfer of ownership and you build up the confidence in people. So there's not as many people coming to your desk because they have that confidence in themselves. And that's something that's super important as you continue to go and scale. Yeah, that makes sense. And that almost sounds like it could even be a science versus art versus it's something you have to work on. So it's something and you don't see the numbers, but um well, but in theory, you could put that in the numbers. How many people are coming to me? How often are they coming? How much time are they spending? And then how much uh, time are they doing these things by themselves? So it sounds like um, doesn't it, it, we don't think it's science because we don't see it. It's not in our CRM, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> right, right. But the, but the data, it can be data and that can be worked on. And maybe it's soft skills, but it can be worked on into a science, it sounds like. Ab absolutely. Like as a leader, leave your ego at the door. Um, you know, and, and, and spend the extra, you know, a few minutes bringing the answers out of people. Cause also at the end of the day, like, you know, as a leader, how many customers are you actually talking to every day versus like your ICs? Um, they really know what's going on. Um, and maybe you got to go and help kind of bring those answers out of them, but it's worth that couple of extra minutes and, and that empowerment and that confidence that you build within the team. That's something that you can go and scale. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Cool. Um, I wanted to talk about. Um, something that we were discussing before, before this call is, um, as a CRO, you're, you have like lots of teams, you have your sales team, you have the implementation team, the customer success team, and then you have also all this pressure, not necessarily from your CEO, but from, you know, just startup pressure of trying to grow quickly, uh, like every other startup before the other startups that also experience the same pressure. So tell me about um, some of that pressure. Tell me about what that pressure sometimes does to teams, uh, whether it's something you've experienced or you've heard. Um, obviously, uh, stories are more interesting, and um, and we'll take it from there. Yeah, absolutely. And this is something that I've been thinking about quite a bit lately. There's always pressure. Uh, but I think that most companies will will have at some point their go for it year. Um, and typically it might involve like a round of funding. You know, you, you follow the red pill, you take the cash, but now you got to go and run like heck. Um, and there's, you know, a lot of, you know, you know, you know even greater ex expectations. Um, I've experienced this a couple of times in a, on a big round of funding. Also experienced it on a run up to an IPO a couple of times. And this is our big go for it year and so forth. And, the, you know, there's always pressure, but there's always that one year where the pressure really, really, really mounts. And what's interesting to me is you went back in my career and you went to that go for it year in each of the companies that I've worked at. Everybody puts together this risk slide. Like, okay, this is our go for it year, but let's understand the risks. And the risks are all the same. You know, like if you went back to every company, you could use the exact same slide. The risks are, you know, something around product. You know, we, we need a couple of new products or we need, you know, our product to go and mature a little bit or something. But there's always, you know, a couple, a couple lines around product. Couple of lines around marketing execution. You know, we, we're, we, we need to, you know, do a better job of marketing. We need to go and create a bunch more opportunities. We're not quite sure how. Um, we're going to put some more money on there because we just got some funding, but we got to go and find that. 
And you got sales execution. Uh, you know, can we continue to go and refine and go and get uh, more efficient on sales? Then there's hiring. Um, you know, are we going to be able to go and fill and put butts in all these seats right here? And then there's attrition. How do we now we got the butts in there? How do we go and make sure that they don't leave? Like it's it's typically like those five things, and there might be some engineering pieces, you know, on that. But you know, you got people and culture, HR on the hiring and the attrition side, and everybody's in it together. And then you might have a couple of macro conditions that you, you, you throw on the list just to show the board that you're really understanding the macro conditions, but you know, you can't control the macro conditions. And everybody signs off on this and says, yes, okay. And then, and then you go kind of bullet point by bullet point. How are we going to go and make sure the, you know, that we cover these risks and so forth? But what I found and what I figured out, and it took me a long time, that's not the biggest risk. None of those things that you write down will be the biggest, biggest risk. The biggest risk as that pressure mounts is, is that you have fragmentation within departments. And it's for the first time that the company is no longer marching in the same direction, but for the first time now you have departments turning on each other. I'm doing a good job. It's all those folks over there. I'm, I'm doing a great job in sales, but it's the product team. You know, that, that's why we're not missing. And the product team, you know, is saying, you know, well, we didn't get enough support from engineering. And, you know, and, and marketing is saying, doing a great, you know, a horrible job, but marketing is hitting their numbers and so forth. And that fragmentation is what kills you. And so, you know, as you're putting together that risk and you got that go, go for it, you're, yeah, absolutely. Cover the product risk, cover the marketing, cover the sales, cover the hiring, cover the attrition risk. But you've got to go and make sure that everybody is on the same page and we're all marching in the same direction, just like you were all the way up to that go for it year. And the minute that you have finger pointing, you do not wait a moment until you jump, you know, jump into that and, and, and you crush that and you squash it really quickly. And you talk about it on that lead up to it because it's going to be tough and there's going to be a lot of pressure and the high expectations and so forth. And it's really interesting to see human behavior happen in every company that I've worked at when there's that go for a year. That's been the biggest number one risk. And that's what you got to go and avoid, making sure that everybody is supporting each other and all marching in the same direction. And you don't you know, elicit that you know, one department pointing fingers at the other. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. What? So one advice you just gave was caution it right when it happens. Is there anything we can do beforehand to caution it beforehand? Yeah, I, I like it, 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 it truly right now. Talk about it all the time. Like, you know, we, you know, we, 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 we closed uh, uh, a great round of funding uh, over the summer from TCV, their, their largest investment ever. Um, Congrats. Huge, yeah, thank you very much. Huge opportunity for us, like massive opportunity. The, the TAM is so expansive. It's only growing, it's global. Um, our, you know, when our, our product is incredibly sticky. Uh, there's, there's just so much to love about this business. And look, now we're coming into 2022 and this is our new go for it year. You know, like, 2023 will be another go for it year, uh, but you know, but this is our big go for it year. We have all the same risks, but the most important thing is that as an organization, we stick together um, and we got each other's back. And as long as we go and do that, it truly is going to be incredibly successful. We'll figure out the product. We'll figure out marketing. We'll figure out sales. We'll figure out all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's not going to go and run perfectly, but as long as we're going and doing it together as a group, I've got no doubt we're going to be incredibly successful, but you know, but it's, that's so important. So yeah, we talk about it all a lot. But also goes back to the metrics. Let's make sure that we've got these metrics that were aligned, you know, in what success looks like. Um, but the overall success is, you know, how are we growing this organization? Um, and, 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 if, and, and nothing else matters if we're not delighting our customers and our prospects every single day. And like, let's also be really clear about that as well. Right. Okay, cool. Love that. So it sounds like 
conversation, making it on top of mind so that you don't even, if there's even a tingling, you could quash it right away before even people realize that they were doing that. And then uh, bring even like, do you guys, does your team use an OKR framework or is there like a goal framework that everyone's aligned on or it's more of a Excel's where you see this, they get these yeah, MQLs? There's, def there's definitely a whole framework as well. Um, and you know, the other thing too, Barry, is like, I'm a people person. Like, and right. you know, and we got to go and, 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 and get people together. Like, you know, you know, sometimes virtually like this and, you know, sometimes, you know, you know every once in a while you can go and do it in person. I know you're in the office today, uh, you know, you're running into people, but as you get bigger and bigger, sometimes departments start to go and head off and just doing their own thing, you know, where it's a lot smaller, you company-wide. And, you know, there's nothing like human relationships. Like, you know, we're going to go and do a virtual happy hour. We're going to go and do, a, you know, an actual lunch in person. Like, let's make sure the product people are there. Let's make sure the marketing people are there. Let's make sure implementation is there. And not, let's not just make it our own department thing. Um, and even like little things like that, they really matter. Um, and they're, they're important. And sometimes at earlier stage companies, those just happen naturally. Um, heck, I, I even seen uh, at Rackspace. We used to sit together all on one floor. We were super small. Uh, everybody could hear what they were talking about. And the salespeople were like, man, those support people are amazing. They really do so well. You know, and the support people were like, man, it's really hard to go and sell. Those people, you know, folks are doing a great job and so forth. Then we got bigger and we had to go to two floors. Guess what happened? Man, what the heck support doing? Support, what the heck sales doing? And all that. It was just moving a floor. And we really had to go and focus on that and bringing those teams back together. You know, and everybody walk a mile in each other's shoes. Yeah, love that. I also love that you're bringing up Rackspace for culture. Uh, there was someone in uh, a few years ago in Israel named Alan. And maybe he, you overlapped with him. And his whole goal with Rackspace, he worked for Rackspace, was to just give back to the team to the people, help startups uh, succeed, even if they weren't using Rackspace. So I totally um, agree with the culture. I never sat with him for more than 10 minutes, but I already felt the Rackspace culture, even though I never met him for more than 10 minutes. So that's, that's great. It's amazing to see some of the former Rackers and what they've done to be able to go and help support local communities. And yeah, I think you know, the lesson there too is be generous with your time. You know, even if you don't think that it's gonna directly impact you, you know, make time for people. Be generous with your time. It comes back to you tenfold. Uh, but but you know, be you know, be be generous. I at my at my conclusion of my Rackspace career, I, I took eighteen months off and I formed a nonprofit and and spent a lot of time in Southeast Asia and tried to give back, teaching uh, English to novice Buddhist monks and 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 orphans in Cambodia and ultimately in Myanmar, building uh, schools and orphanages and playgrounds. And I was being generous with my time. You know, giving back. Yeah, guess what? I got so much more back um, to me than I could have ever done for the people that I was trying to go and help. You know, it, it was actually almost arrogant of me. Like, here I am, I've you know, been successful. I want to go and help these people out. And the level of guilt that I, that I felt during that time was immense because, the, you know, it was just, I learned so much about what's important in life and, and learned so much about myself through these people that I was trying to help. And it turned out they were the ones that were helping me. Love that. That's awesome. And that's really a cool experience. Uh, we'll have to, do a different podcast just on that experience. Um, so we, we covered a lot today, how to go from sixth grade teacher to CRO to uh, from one to 150 on the sales team to uh, disgruntled, maybe it's a little too intense, but not happy um, employees to happy employees. I think our listeners really appreciated that um, all this information, um, I think it's important as we, uh, go into 2022 and we're doing projections that people think about the people 
uh, and not just projections, but when you can make something scientific, try to do it earlier than later, not just outputs, but also inputs. Um, that I think is gold, um, as, as, as well as um, connecting with people. I love all of this. Matt, thanks so much. Um, what Before we go, maybe tell me a book you're reading or one of your favorite books, something I ask all of our podcast guests. Yeah, um, uh, a buddy of mine, Lorenzo Gomez, wrote an awesome book called Cilantro Diaries. Uh, and I recommend that everybody read that book. Uh, he uh, has been incredibly successful and without a college education. Um, and talks about kind of in the absence of college education, how did he go and get there? Um, and if you got a PhD or you're a high school dropout, it should be required reading. It's, uh, it's an incredible book. So Cilantro Diaries by Lorenzo Gomez. All right, we'll check it out. All right, Matt. Thanks again, and looking forward to staying in touch. Great. Thanks so much, Barry.